Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is the Sikkim Podcast, presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat in Waco, online at alansamuelsdcj.com. Coach Dutch Schrader, Baylor University, born in Austin, Texas in 1924. He enrolled in Baylor in 1948 as a junior transfer and a World War II veteran. As a third baseman and left fielder, he lettered at Baylor in 48 and 49. He led the Bears to a top eight finish nationally in 1948 and a second place finish in conference in 1949. He took over as the Bears head baseball coach in 1961, where they became one of the South's premier programs, ranking behind only Texas in win percentage from 60 to 66. His Bears won the 1966 conference title, and when he retired in 73, Coach left with 196 career wins, most in Baylor history. For the next 26 years, he taught full-time in the university's PE department. He also held just about every position in Baylor's B Association. He and his wife, Betty Lou, have been married for more than 60 years, and now he's a Southwest Conference Hall of Famer, Coach Dutch Schrader. The Sikkim Podcast is a production of Baylor Athletics. Now, here are your hosts, Brooke Bednars and the voice of the Bears, John Morris. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of our Sikkim Podcast. That introduction of uh, the late Dutch Schrader was uh, at his induction into the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame in 2014 and we'll hear Dutch's uh, induction speech coming up a little bit later in our Sikkim podcast but we're glad you're with us if you are uh, if you're green and gold in any way you know Dutch Schrader you know the name Dutch Schrader and you mourn with all of us at his passing earlier this week at the age of 96 and we just want to uh, celebrate Dutch and celebrate what he has done for Baylor University and for Baylor Athletics on our Sikkim podcast this week. I'm John Morris alongside Brooke Bednars, and no better place to start than with uh, Walter Abercrombie, the head of the B Association, the Baylor Letterman's uh, Association. Walter, that the uh, the roots of uh, the B Association really go back to Dutch and his doggedness really to make a place for Letterman at Baylor to come back to. John, that's exactly right. He... Um... I don't know if it was Dutch's vision, but he definitely embraced the vision of having one location on campus where Letterman could always return to and support the Bears no matter what sport it was. And and so Dutch um, went out and, uh, and all of the founders of the organization at the time and guys that include, uh, included uh, Bunk Bradley, um, George Berry Graves, oh, there, were, there may have been two or three others who got together and said, you know, we can, we can build a space on campus. And 
But Dutch, you're going to have to go out and raise the money. And so Dutch um, Dutch went out and uh, he got a lot of his former players and others that he knew who were Baylor supporters uh, of athletics. And he went out to visit them and he raised, I think, a little bit of a time. And, and eventually they had, they had raised, raised enough money to build a spot on campus. And it just so happened to be um, right there at uh, in 1972 um, at, uh, at Baylor Stadium. And it coincidentally happened to be Grant Taft's first year. And the first year they hosted players into the Letterman's Lounge at uh, Baylor Stadium was Grant Taft's first year as a head football coach, 1972. Wow. Pretty amazing story how, yeah. he, how he did it because – it wasn't a whole lot of people giving a lot of money at that time, but Letterman stepped up and, and, and really supported the cause. Well, and a lot of that is because of Dutch. When when D- Dutch asked you to do something, it was uh, virtually impossible to say no. <laughs> you know, the passion that he had for Baylor Athletics really just uh, kind of bled over to, to everyone else to make this thing a reality. And, and exactly right. He, he, was, um, he was a guy, like, for example, uh, when I was with the Steelers, and uh, I hadn't really known a whole lot about the B Association, but Dutch, I had Dutch for a professor in my PE class. He called me, and and this is what the conversation went like: Walter, <laughs> you need to pay your Letterman's dues. Send me a check right now for five hundred dollars. You know, and that, and that's about it. What it was, I was like, okay, Dutch, I'll do it. <laughs> right. And I can't tell you that there there have been several uh, Letterman who have. Um, uh, or guys that went on to play in the pros, even baseball players, that he did the same thing. Sure. I mean, so he encouraged all of those who didn't make it to professional sports to, to be the core group. But, man, he said, these guys that are playing professionally, they owe it back to the university. <laughs> and he wasn't ashamed about calling it all. Oh, not in the least. And, you know, we wrote those checks, too. Yeah. <laughs> all of us did. I did a lot of research, watched some videos, different uh, audio of – you know, him speaking just to get to know him a little bit better ahead of today. And, um, he, he wrote once that, you know, he considered his greatest accomplishment, which he had numerous, but one of his greatest accomplishment was to be one of the few, you know, original organizers of the B association to kind of kickstart that for Baylor letter winners, um, like yourself. Uh, obviously you have a very important role with that. Now you've kind of He's passed the torch on to you, so to say. Um, But just as a letter winner in general here at Baylor, um, why is it important and what does it mean to you to be able to have a home like y'all do now? It's very important uh, because it's not only important for the B associations. It's important for Baylor because we have a place where we, that will help us continue to engage former athletes. And um, when I took the job here, I, I knew that that we had a real loyal base of ex-athletes that were coming back to the games, that were contributing to the Bear Foundation. And I felt like if there was any group of alumni that would be most loyal to the university, it would be the ex-athletes, right? They, they, they live this stuff. And so... <clears throat> I felt like I was coming into a really good situation because of the loyalty that not only uh, is just natural with athletes, but also the tremendous work that Dutch had done with cultivating relationships all of the years that he had, whether he was a professor 
or whether he was working with the alumni group or whether he was working as he did directly with, with, with former athletes. And so it was really just a, just a good situation for me. And I'm thankful the Dutch, you know, I, because he poured his heart into the B association and building this organization. He really did. And, and, um, there were things that he did like, for example, writing hand, handwritten notes. And, and he said, um, when I first got the job, he said, look, these people have given their hard earned money back to the university. And you can take the time to sit, take a pen and a piece of paper and write them a thank you note. Doesn't have to be anything long or fancy, but you should do that. People appreciate it. Don't get on that computer and write an email. Get you a pen and a piece of paper and write a thank you note. He did that. For everybody they gave to the to uh, the B Association, he would write a handwritten note. And, you know, that's, you know, some people still do that. But, you know, it's kind of outdated a little bit. But Dutch believe that that's how you, that's what wins people's hearts. And, and they felt acknowledged when they would get a handwritten note from him. Mm-hmm. And, and, as he, and, he's tr- and he's right. People have told me that. But that's what they miss about Dutch. What year was it that you uh, you, you took over full time? I did association. Uh, Two thousand four. Two thousand four. So when you came in full time in that position in two thousand four, it, it uh, Dutch had been doing this really, really as a volunteer for all these years, and and. Everyone listening, take this in the right way. And if you know Dutch, you will take it in the right way. Dutch didn't exactly just step out of the way and let you and Tammy take over. Uh, he was he was still here and he was still around and he just wanted to help, right? I mean, it wasn't a clean cut. There was no cut, right? Dutch was was always available for anything you would need him to do. You know, he, you know, you can't replace a guy like Dutch. I mean. You just kind of have to let him just decide when he wants to go away and or, or leave. And um, having him around because it was it was extremely important when I first started because I didn't know what I was doing, you know. I, I'm, and and Dutch was was the great teacher that he always was, and um, and he taught me kind of how to relate to people. He taught me uh, the importance of getting in my car and traveling to different cities around the state to meet with Letterman, to continue to engage them. Um, You know, he did things with a lot of the old groups, like some teams in the 1960s and fifties. He maintained relationships with them because he'd get in his car and go have lunch with them or breakfast with them. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Walter, he would tell me. And uh, so he was tremendous with relationships, even though he's a gruff, you know, and he had a tough kind of outer outer edge to him. Deep down inside, you know, Dutch really had a, had a, had amazing capacity to love and care for people, and and, and that's uh, that's what made him so special. Well, I think it says a lot. Also, you know, the original room you mentioned opened in 1972 over at Floyd Casey. Obviously, we have a new stadium now over at McLean, and the Letter Winners Lounge, um, I believe, is nearly double the size that it was. Um, possibly with room to expand, who knows, but that's just, you know, a testament to the effort that he put in, that you've continued, that so many of our letter winners continue to come back, that you had to get a bigger, a bigger spot. I credit Dutch um, for creating the foundation 
of of what I believe is one of the top letter winners organizations in the country. And I say that because not a very not a lot of schools have letterman's or letterman's room like this. And so like we have and so um <clears throat> when when we have Iowa State and when we have um you know TCU and and others that come to Waco and their letterman people, their representatives come over to the lounge. They're they're amazed at our room and um, how did you get this done? Why did the, how did the university agree to let you have this space? You know, and uh, all of that, when I hear compliments like that, I, I, I just have to give credit to Dutch and some of the founders who really did a terrific job building the core base membership, creating the benefits that are appealing to those that can come back. And I have to give credit to the university and the athletic department for continuing to allow us to have the space and to, to continue to be our partners in, in, in building stronger relationships with former athletes. How do you get the job done? With power. Get all the power you need in a new Ram. Alan Samuels presents Ram Power Days. Extra special savings and special factory financing on all new models. Hauling families to great places. Doing chores. Working hard. Alan Samuels will help you get the job done. Ram, the highest pickup owner loyalty in America. Shop, apply, buy online. We deliver. Alan Samuels, official auto dealer of the heart of Texas Fair and Rodeo. Whether on the field or cheering from home, Du Bois Furniture is proud to support the Baylor Bears. If your bear cave needs updating, Du Bois Furniture is here to help. With over 59 years of our family serving yours, let our experienced sales team help you find exactly what you want. We specialize in custom upholstery, stunning dining rooms, elegant bedrooms, gorgeous leather, and top quality mattresses. Come see us in Waco and Temple or visit us online at DuBoisFurniture.com. Du Bois Furniture, where beautiful homes happen. Now, back to the Sikkim Podcast, presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Walter, all of us have uh, have Dutch stories, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and, and they're all priceless. I wish we could just have person after person tell us their favorite memory of Dutch. Do you have one great Dutch story that really stands out above the others? I've got two or three, but I can't tell them on air. Okay. <laughs> no, Fair I, enough. I, um, I really do. I mean, I, Dutch was my, my professor. I took PE class with him. Um, when I retired from the pros, I came back to Waco, and I was just working out, and um, I think I was trying to get my degree or something. I was maybe working my master's, but I ran into Dutch over at Mars McLean Gym. And he had a tennis racket with him. And I said, you, you, uh, I said, you play tennis. I said, I, I do too. He said, you do. He said, well, let's get out and play. <laughs> I said, okay. And just had to be, he, he had to be in his late sixties or seventies at right. the time. I, but anyway, so he and I would get together on Thursdays along with, uh, Don Otterburn, Otterman. Um, he, um, he would come out there with us and we would play sometimes, um, Dutch, and uh, uh, Don would play together, and I'd I'd be on one side, and then sometimes Don and I would play Dutch, and and but man, at, at his age, he was really good. I could never beat him. Huh. And he tells the story now, <clears throat> or he used to tell the story, that the one time I did beat him, 
that's when I stopped playing. <laughs> and uh, but I, I didn't beat him. I didn't beat him that often. He was really good. Uh, but but just spending that time on the tennis courts and uh, we'd sit around and talk. And he he talked. He'd tell me a lot at that time about about his job as a letterman and or his uh, running the Letterman's organization. And he'd talk about, well, you know, you need to help us get some of these pro athletes involved. And, and, but I didn't realize that I would be in the role that I'm, I'm in now when I, when I would be doing that. But, but I saw his passion in what he was doing. And he, like he said, he, he was a volunteer. Yeah. He wasn't getting paid for it. He just loved being around Baylor athletes. And, and uh, it showed in the commitment, in the way that he went about, um, uh, doing his business. And I, and I, I just fell in love with him. There are, uh, Walter, there's people listening to us that had him for badminton. Brooke, he was, uh, he, he taught badminton for many, many wow. years. And that was, uh, I mean, you've never had a badminton class till you've had one taught by Dutch. So that was an adventure also. I bet. Yeah. And Walter, his, uh, his legacy will live on forever. And there is a way that people can, um, uh, can help that live on forever through the B association. Yes. Uh, what we did uh, some years ago, uh, uh, maybe uh, f- three, three or four years ago, we created a Dutch trader letter winners in endowment um, that benefits the B association. And the purpose of the letter winners legacy endowment is so that this organization will, will always have a funding base um, and be able to, to continue providing the meaningful benefits that we provide to our members continue to offer current student athletes scholarships to finish their degree uh continue to to have programs like the bears in the workforce program where we are assisting current athletes in making the career transition and so there are programs that we're doing uh, making sure that we have money for alumni uh, uh reunions and so forth so um this legacy endowment is to make sure that our programs continue on uh, forever. For as long as there's a Baylor University, we want there to be a, a Baylor B Association. And we want it to be vibrant. We want it to be full of folks on game days, and we want it to be full of members. So that's kind of why the Legacy Endowment was created. We named it after Dutch because, well, it just seemed like that was <laughs> the right thing. That was This was his place. And uh, for those of you who want this organization, who who want to see this organization uh, continue on in honor of Dutch, then the Legacy Endowment is the spot that you can make a, make a gift and will help in that cause. So just through the B Association, yes, through athletics. That's, that's right. You can um, <clears throat> you can contact Nick uh, Nick Florence. Nick is the administrator of the fu- uh, uh, of the fund. And Nick's uh, phone number is is 254-710-7557. That's 254-710-7557. And talk to Nick, and he can help you through the process of of making a gift to the Dutch Schrader Letter Winners Legacy Endowment. I bet his phone will be ringing off the hook as the (laughs) family encouraged, you know, any memorials or tributes to be um, that they would like that to continue um, because it was something that, you know, meant a lot to him, obviously, um, right. so much so that he never stepped away and kept joining you. That's right. And and I talked to Becky, his daughter, yesterday, and um, 
you know, I've been talking about the letter winner's legacy endowment, but I hadn't really fully confirmed with her if that's what she, that's the direction she was going to try directing um, people to give if they wanted to give a gift, um, you know, and, and uh, after speaking with her, she said, by the way, Walter, she said, I, if anybody wants to give a gift in tribute, we wanted to go to the letter winner's legacy endowment. So I had not been wrong. I figured she would, but I know that Dutch has other endowments at the university and there are other things he was involved in. But I think when you define, you make a summary of his life, he poured so much into the B Association, into letter winners, that it just makes perfect sense. If you're going to honor him, this would be the way to do it. Well, that's great. Thanks for sharing. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll continue our tribute to Dutch Schrader on the Sikkim Podcast this week. Appreciate Walter Abercrombie. And we'll hear from one of Dutch's uh, former players, his catcher, on that 1966 Southwest Conference Championship team when we come back. So stay with us. We'll continue on the Sikkim Podcast, a special edition, a tribute to Dutch Schrader after this. If you need a trailer, Flat Rock Trailers has got you covered. From light-duty single-axle utility trailers to the big text tandem duels. We also carry a full line of enclosed cargo trailers. Need a motorcycle trailer? We've got them. Need a dump trailer? We've got the largest selection in the state. Oil field trailers? We carry a full line of big text trailers to handle all your needs. Trailer repairs? We repair all makes and models. We'll even rent you a trailer if you need to use one for a day. Flat Rock Trailers, your number one source for all your trailer needs. Find us at flatrocktrailers.com. say my wife and I have a lot to clean is an understatement. So we go to TNG Chemical, where the pros know what cleaning solutions to use and give us detailed instructions on exactly how to use them. We never got that kind of advice from any other stores. And the prices at TNG are great, from general household cleaners to odor control solutions for our pets. We go to TNG Chemical and Supply. That's why. TNG Chemical and Supply. That's why. You're listening to the Sikkim Podcast, a production of Baylor Athletics. Here again are Brooke Bednars and John Morris. Continuing on our special edition of the Sikkim Podcast, a tribute to Dutch Schrader. Want to visit with one of his players. Uh, Butch McBroom was a catcher here at Baylor, part of the 1966 Southwest Conference Championship team coached by Dutch Schrader and Butch went on to a terrific career uh, coaching baseball and is retired now from UT Arlington. UTA had baseball coach from 74 to 1999, coached 757 wins. What, uh, what, what in, impact did Dutch have on you and you getting into coaching past Baylor? Well, you know, I always wanted to be a coach and, uh, Playing for Dutch Schrader, you learned the game, not just uh, hitting and throwing. You learned all the small things about it, which really uh, helped us win. Uh, the little things that a lot of guys just don't teach, and because uh, he always felt like that uh, he was going to be uh, third in line getting the best players with Texas and Texas A&M being ahead of him. So he, uh, he went out to never – never lose a game because of mistakes 
Coach, uh, you you mentioned he, he taught the small things, and people kind of referred to him a little bit, he says, as the fundamentalist, um, making sure that you guys knew the ins and outs and all the small, small details. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? And did he, did he, is it true that he made you pass a test in a classroom before you guys ever got to take a ball and a bat out on that field? That's absolutely true. You know, we had to go take a baseball test that he gave it to his baseball coaching class. And as, as players, were you going to be a coach or not, you had to pass a Dutch's test or you had to keep taking it. And go find the answers yourself. He wasn't going to tell you. And uh, he, was, he was a great fundamental coach. He, he spent – we as players were a little upset because we wanted to spend more time hitting, but – he said, "If we wanted extra season, we'd come and do it ourselves." But uh, we were going to—we were gonna not make mistakes in games that cost us the game. Coach, what what aspects of uh, of his coaching style maybe did you incorporate in your coaching career? Well, a lot of the same things. Uh, uh, coach was always firm but fair, and uh, there was no partiality. It was. Uh, hey, you have to do this to play, and uh, if you make these mistakes, you're not going to play. And so we knew that. We knew that from the get-go. And and so as a coach myself, I tried to teach all those little things that he taught me. And the uh, only thing I did different, I let my kids hit a little more than he let his. So uh, it was uh, – it was, it was. He was just, and he was a great man. I mean, after after we got out of our playing days over with, he was our friend. I, I remember he used to send every ex-player of his a Christmas card every year, and that's a small thing, but it, it's important to know that you're remembered. And uh, Dutch always made that known. He and I were really close. Uh, my dad died uh, my first year to be a coach, and uh, Dutch became just sort of a surrogate father to me and just was a great man he was a great man and I I appreciate him and stayed in touch with him and when you went through a real uh you know what could have been a crisis in, in your life when you had your leg amputated in 1983 understand Dutch was was with you at that point uh every step of the way absolutely absolutely uh, uh when I woke up from that uh, tragic event you know Dutch was there and uh, he was there during the surgery, and he was there after. And any time I needed him, he'd get in his car and, and be there. And he was that way to all of his players. Uh, he used to uh, uh, have go to a breakfast uh, the, the early 60s football team had. You know, he had nothing to do with football, but he was their friend. And he'd drive up to Arlington and spend the night with us, and I'd drive over to the uh, breakfast with him with football players, and they loved him just like the baseball players. And he was just a, a great guy. You talk a lot about, you know, how much he meant to you guys as a team. Um, and no matter what, it sounds like you guys fully respected him and he had your back uh, on and off the field. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, some of the things that – you brought over from what you learned from him into your own coaching. And you were quoted talking about how he always could answer the question, why are we doing this? As a coach, he would tell you, you know, do X, Y, and Z. But when you guys asked why, he always had an answer. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about, A, what that was like for you as a player with him and then how you incorporated that into your own team? Well, you know, you had when coming up you know, as an athlete, you had coaches that would, you know, you'd do something, you'd, you'd question, and they'd just say, well, you do it because I tell you to. Well, Dutch wasn't like that. He gave you the reason we were going to do this stuff, and you might not always agree with him, but you always express, uh, 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 you know, were, uh, what was the word I want to say? You always respected him enough to uh, go ahead and do what he said, and, you, and 99% of the time he was right. And you just, like I said, you didn't always agree with what he did because, you know, you as a player wanted to go out there and work on your hitting, and he wanted to make sure he made your turn at first right and, and knew how to take your lead and, and were able to bunt. And uh, he just he, he just the fundamental great coach he taught you the fundamentals and as a coach uh, you could win so many games just on fundamentals just by doing things that the other guys don't do and that i really respected coach for that butch if a uh, measure of a man is the impact that they have on others i know you did that the many years you coached at ut arlington uh dutch certainly did that didn't he i mean he had in the impact a really a life-changing impact on so many people absolutely i mean he was a people person and uh after he was through coaching he was still there for you and and, and you still had that respect for him you know everybody that that played for him everybody that was around him just uh he just his goal was to to treat people right and and be there for people and and he was known for that you, you know you never if you needed Dutch Schrader you needed something done that he could do he was always there to do it. You were the catcher on the '66 Southwest Championship team southwest conference championship team uh that season was obviously special coming away with that championship i would love to hear a story that you have uh about coach um from from that year oh gee i had to think uh put you on the spot yeah you did because uh, uh the Dutchman, and we always called him behind his back, the Dutchman. <laughs> the Dutchman uh, was going to, uh, he was going to do it his way, and uh, there was never an excuse. You had, to, you had to go out there and do it his way or you didn't play. Uh, he, he was a very strong disciplinarian. Uh, he would not put up with little things that you see go, go, that goes on today. There was no throwing your helmet or throwing your bat. Uh, Anytime you did something wrong, he after the game he immediately had you go run and and, and pay for it. And uh, as far as just a particular incident that game, I I can't remember anything different. We just uh, played the game the way he taught us to play the game, and in the end, uh, you know, we were there. We could have uh, we could have done. We lost a couple of games that uh, we kind of gave away, and that. That that cost us bad, but uh, he he was he was he was the man, <laughs> and you did what he told you to do, or you didn't play. Well, it sounds like he had a huge impact on you and and your teammates, and we can't thank you enough for taking the time to remember him and honor him with us here today. So thank you again for visiting with us. 
Well, thank you for having me do that. He had, he was prominent, in, in, uh, two of two other guys on that team were college coaches for nearly as long as I was, and Jim Mallon and Joe Robinson, and won tons of games, and just uh, always there. When Dutch needed us, we were there, too. Absolutely. And it shows in those records, so... Thank you again, and congratulations with your long and successful career, and uh, thanks for helping us honor him today. Well, I appreciate you asking me. Thanks to Butch McBroom, a longtime UT Arlington head baseball coach and a former Baylor catcher, as he talked about a catcher on the Southwest Conference Championship team, coached by Dutch Schrader in 1966. Brooke, there were so many uh, men and women we could have talked to that would uh, tell the same story about Dutch Schrader. He was such an advocate for women's athletics here at Baylor. And uh, upcoming in our next segment, we'll hear his acceptance speech when he was inducted into the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame April 7th, 2014, and he gives uh, he, he gives part of his uh, acceptance, uh, paying tribute to the women and women's athletics here at Baylor. Absolutely. I think that's important to note, especially because it's called the Letter Winners Lounge, uh, because we were going to be inclusive, inclusive of men and women, and he made a big point to switch the name to that to include them. Um, but a lot of people will be remembering uh, Dutch as not just with this podcast, um, but with a celebration of life. The family has said that that will be open to the public at a later date when it is safer to have those large gatherings, but there will be a private burial in Holland uh, coming soon. And the family, uh, as Walter mentioned, encourages memorials be made to the Dutch Schrader Letter Winners Legacy Endowment Fund at the Baylor Bee Association. It's an endowment that honors his life and his commitment to service. You can contact the Bee Association, BaylorBeeAssociation.com, for more information. Call them at 254-710-3045. Or, as Walter said, go, to, uh, uh, go through Nick Florence at 254-710-7557 or Baylor.edu slash giving will get you to that option as well. The family also told us that Dutch always sent a handwritten note. That's something that's a common theme throughout this podcast, all of his handwritten notes. But it continued with condolence cards to each family when a Baylor letter winner passed away. And in those notes, he would include a quote by Thomas Campbell. And, of course, we uh, felt it was the perfect way to end the podcast or at least our portion of the podcast before we um, dive into his acceptance speech but that quote is to live in hearts we leave behind is not to die how do you get the job done with power get all the power you need in a new ram alan samuels presents ram power days extra special savings and special factory financing on all new models hauling families to great places doing chores working hard alan samuels will help you get the job done ram the highest pickup owner loyalty in america shop apply buy online we deliver alan samuels official auto dealer of the heart of texas fair and rodeo I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket they ain't fooling around. 
Salsa draft, son, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Next in line. This is the Sikkim Podcast. Presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat in Waco. Online at alansamuelsdcj.com. I don't need this mic because I coach baseball. (laughs) And I expected the center fielder to hear everything I said to everybody else. And you saw all that bunch over get up. And he probably going to make me cry a little bit. And one of them will probably tell you, every time he saw me, he went around the outside the state campus just to miss me. <laughs> and he's a general in the Air Force. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. And you and your staff. I've already congratulated these other eight. Because it is a real honor when your school says you need to represent us in a great place. And I have ties to most of these other schools, and I've had a chance to share with them some of the things, some of the coaches they've had that were my friends. And there's some things I didn't share with them, but i got to thank <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the Bill Bradley story. And the selection committee, thank you. I don't know who all y'all are, but somewhere along the line, you've been misguided along because (laughs) these people up here are real stars. And there's that John, look at all those things. That's great, John. And by the way, when Carolyn gets up, I want my team to stand up with her. She's got her bunch over here, and she told me not to make things too tough on her. Isn't she great? God. And, and bunches of them have bought these tables over there, Jim and Don and Larry and Alan and Walter and Carol and Rick and Doug. And you know, some of them bought tables and they won't even tell me who they are. <laughs> God. And my family's here, my wife, 66 years, not just 60. My two living children, a bunch of my grandchildren. I got one grand over there, just one years old, and she promised me not to keep y'all up. She better shut up, Harper. Golly, how did I ever get here? I guess I know too much. Because in 1934, when I was just 10 years old, my Uncle Harry says, Bub, I'll take you to the football game. I was living in Austin then on 900 East 7th Street. And we went out to see the University of Texas play. And they were playing the Baylor Bears. I'd never even heard the word Baylor before. I was old enough at 10 to get in on the knothole gang. But remember, this is 1934. And Uncle Harry didn't have a quarter because that's how much it cost to come into the ball game. So he had to stay outside, so I had to stay outside because I couldn't go inside with that. Well, we got to go in at the half when they opened the gates, and all of us got in, Chris. 
And I sat there and watched these guys go back and forth. They were mauling each other and hitting. They didn't throw the ball back there. They were just hitting the line, hitting the line. I kept asking him, what's the score? There ain't no score. It was nothing to nothing. And in the last minute of the game, this guy from wearing that green and gold got up and kicked a field goal and beat my Texas Longhorns three to nothing. And I started my hate of Baylor University. There's no way I was going to like any of those people. And I growed up, I started out there at the University of Texas. And athletes had to work for their scholarships back then. And Roy Dale McKay had to sweep two rows in the gym every morning at 7 o'clock. And I remember as a freshman getting in the line there with all the other freshmen, he came over to me and he said, Will you get up at 7 o'clock every morning? He was wearing some pointed shoes, we called them boots. He's wearing a cowboy hat, and he performed in rodeos. Roy Dale McKay, he's a second-string fullback, and he says, you're mine. At 7.30 every morning when the inspector came around, his place was clean because you know who cleaned it. <laughs> and he got to play a lot because that was a great Texas team. They had their pictures on the front of Life magazine. They were beating everybody 40 to nothing. 20 points first half, 20 points second half. And Roy Dale was getting to play a lot. And I was Roy Dale's boy. <laughs> I was something. People on the campus knew me. Then they went up and played these Baylor Bears. And they tied us 7 to 7. And the bubble had burst. <laughs> they teach you that in history down there, Chris? <laughs> and the next week... That TCU bunch beat us. Down we fell. They'd been number one in the nation, and now they were out of the top umps. I don't know where we were. But they still had two games on the schedule. One was against the Thanksgiving foe, A&M. And A&M ain't lost the ball game. We go down there and beat the snot out of them. <laughs> but there was a prize, Jacob, because the winner of the Texas and the A&M Thanksgiving game got to be taken to this big party at the chicken ranch. There are a few you gray heads out there. You know what I'm talking about. You young'uns don't want to know. So they won the right for the party at the chicken ranch, and they had one more game on their schedule, but something got in the way called Pearl Harbor. On December the 6th, they played Oregon. And Texas was now the number one team in the nation again. And they beat them like 70 to nothing. And the next morning when we woke up, and it was time to go to war. And I joined up when my mother would finally sign for it. We only went, I was 16 when I got out of high school. Remember, we were smarter. We only went to 11 grades of school. <laughs> 
And while I was in the Navy, they'd come up and say, Dutch. They called me Tex. Everybody was Tex from Texas. Did you ever get to go to college? Yeah, I went to the University of Texas. And you know what those people would tell me? Yeah, that's the school that lets those lazy pants preachers beat you. <laughs> Baylor. I hated them. But during those 1930s, I was privileged to get interested in Southwest Conference, and Southwest Conference was so good. Those TCU teams with O'Brien and, and Sammy Ball, best in the nation. And then that SMU team of 1936, they were so great. They just beat everybody, and they got picked to go to the Rose Bowl, and nobody had ever gotten to play in the Rose Bowl except some California team and somebody way over in the east. But SMU got to play. Boy, did we pull for SMU, but they got beat by Stanford 7 to nothing. Sorry. And then in the late 1930s, this Jaron John Kimbrough came along, and he was everybody's All-American, and he'd run over people on the right and run over them on the left and up the middle. And Texas was getting good then, too, and they had some real games. I came back out of the service, and I got to sit in the class at Texas University because I was going to go back there and try to make a baseball player. I played freshman baseball for them. And I sat next to a little skinny 150-pounder named Slater Martin. And he was, I didn't know who he was. Didn't even look like he was well-fed. <laughs> but it seems as though he was the starting player on the basketball team as a freshman. And he wanted to go up and see his friends at, guess where, Baylor University. He played for Jeff Davis, and somebody here told me they went to Jeff Davis. I can't remember now who it was. But they were, there he is. <laughs> it, it's somewhere called the Heights. And, and they all carry these blades with a, to punch a button and, and to jab you. And that's what he did to me. And he wanted to go up to Baylor because four of his teammates were playing for Baylor. And so I agreed to go on a Saturday. We have to hitchhike. There ain't no cars back in. They're making trucks and tanks for the war effort. And then he tells me, I ain't going Dutch. I said, we're going because we're going to see your friends. I know, I know, but things have changed. I said, I know, they're getting you a good used car. It wasn't a new car. No. What kind of money are you getting we get? No, no, no. I'm just, I need to stay here. I said, I'll go. I went up to Baylor. And the student body was there because they thought Slater was coming and going to join their basketball team. There was a 1,000 of them. There wasn't but 1,500 in the school. And as soon as Faye found out all they got was Dutch Slater, it melted fast. But I love, I love Slater's friends, and I never went home. Sorry about that, Chris. And man, was that a great move. I don't know why God put me through all this to get me in the right place. I met my wife, 66 years we've been married. I barely lettered in baseball. They gave me a letter, but we did get to play in the College World Series. They played it differently then, four in the West and four in the East, and we got to go. We didn't win the conference. That darn Texas was, beat us in the baseball. But Mr. Falk was mad because of the way he'd been treated the first year they went out there. And so we got to go. And so I got to play in a college World Series. 
Uh, we beat everybody but USC, and they're the world's the champions. But uh, <coughs> little did I know that I was going to get to come back at, and coach at Baylor, but I had some good baseball teams in the high schools in Austin. And just last Saturday, if you read the Austin paper, I met with those kids. <laughs> they're all 70. We had the best time celebrating the 1954 state championship. Uh, but they made a name for me, and when the Baylor coach died in 1957, they asked me to come up and be a part of that program in the baseball. And so I went, and I got to meet the greatest people in the world. And in the early, the late 50s are here, they're called the Paul Bears. Paul Bears, I ain't going to ask you to stand up or we'd be standing here forever. But there's a table full of them. And we meet every year and they let me come and they tell me how terrible a coach I was. <laughs> but I was all their coaches, the footballers, the baseballers, the track, the tennis. We didn't have but six sports back then. But I'm thankful to this bunch. And they got to have a table over here too. And after the Paul Bears, I got to tell you about some others that came along. My early 60 baseballers were second only to Texas University. I just couldn't beat them. But they gave me a record that even Texas University came and asked me to apply for their job. The school with the greatest athletic program. I turned them down. And Mr. Royal didn't like that. He didn't get turned down much. But I'd found a home at Baylor, and that's where my children needed to be educated. I've got to tell you about some other 60s because those that played in the other sports in the Dallas area, they let me come have breakfast with them four times a year on the first month of each quarter. The third Monday is always their day. <laughs> at Dallas and I go and have and they tell me how terrible a coach I was too. I didn't coach football, but they were all my boys. And 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 David, your boy Jessup out there who blocked for you there, his daddy John's one of my, my dearest. He worked with me. And then at the end of the sixties, they're all here too. I got a table full of them back here. Some of them sitting with my family because they are my family. They decided they want a full time coach and as you heard them say, I wasn't a full-time coach. I was a teacher. I taught in the School of Education. I taught full-time in the fall until they started to have fall baseball. Then they gave me a little time off there. But in spring, I had to teach a half load because they paid me three-quarters of my salary. And I never was treated as a coach because coaches got cars and they got country club memberships. <laughs> and here's how they explained it to me. You're just a teacher. <laughs> but when the Letterman's Association just finally got permission from the, from the administration to build a building for the letter winners, the president said, you the letter winners won't ever give anything back to the university. You're a bunch of takers. But they, they got up plans for a building, and then they decided who was going to go out and raise the money. And, and you're looking at him. I never raised a dime. They said, Dutch, you're going to do it. And so I went out on that road, and they didn't even have any money. I stayed in, 
in former players' houses, and they fed me breakfast, and I begged money. And you know what? Letter winners do give back. And I'll tell you for sure, the money began to come, and, and it came in. They said, look, you don't need to have a building on the campus. We'll let you have one at the stadium. And so they let us have one at the stadium. And when we walked into that room in 1972, we paid for it in total. Letterman did it. And that's where I got to know all these Letterman so well. They let me be the host for the Letterman's Association. I didn't get paid for it. 30 years, I got to greet all the Letterman's. And if I didn't get 500 hugs a Saturday, it was a bad day. It didn't matter whether we won or lost the game. It was how many hugs I got. And it didn't matter whether it was their wives or some, some of them got awful big around the middle and I couldn't go around them all the time. <laughs> and then they decided it was time. When I got to be 80 years old, they decided it was time to have a full-time paid one. And Walter's here today, and he's doing a great job. Uh, moving them on to greater heights, and, and they know how to raise money and things, and our letter winners will give back. And I hope your other schools have found the same thing, that letter winners are not just takers. They're givers. I've left out one part. After I didn't, they moved me out of the baseball job, and I had to go teach full-time, I took on a new sport, women's. The AIAW had come into business and trying to give, get women more recognition. And so I began helping coach there, but now I coached the badminton team and they had championships in badminton and I took those girls from Baylor to the national championships. And, but the basketball players and these others, they were mine. And I got some of them here today and I, won't, I, th I got three of those women lettermans and they didn't get a letter through the athletic department. They got them through the bearettes. They weren't lady bears back then. Get my three bearettes. Get up, Karen, Peggy, Alice. And they let me help them write the book of women's athletics, and it's just now out. If you, it's on the, on the bookstores. It's called Before Brittany. Before Brittany, a legacy of champions, because our girls played in the finals of the AIAW back in the 70s. Our softball teams went to the finals. We had girl tracksters that could play. They were first class in my book. Thank you all. You've been listening to the Sikkim Podcast, presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat in Waco, online at alansamuelsdcj.com.